0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Out of the Box Judaism, a podcast for unpacking Jewish tradition and heritage and finding the gems in there that are meaningful to you today. I'm Esther Goldenberg, a life and spirituality coach, author, educator, and mom to two great kids who fill my life with love and laundry and inspire me to see miracles every day. I created this podcast to help shine the light on the wisdom, power, and connection that I see in Jewish traditions and customs, and of course, the Torah. That said, all belief systems are welcome here, Jewish and otherwise. And if Jewish, it is my belief that you can do Judaism exactly the way that is right for you, in your own ever-evolving life and journey, which is exactly what I do. In these episodes, I share with you some of what Judaism has to offer me, and my wish for you is that you will find the gems that it has for you. Welcome and Chag Sameach, or Happy Holiday. This weekend, which is May 12th and 13th, we'll be celebrating a holiday much more modern than the ones I've talked about on the podcast in the past. Actually, this weekend is two modern holidays, because this Sunday is Mother's Day in America. But that wasn't what I was referring to. In Israel, Mother's Day is not in May, and is actually a long and interesting story for another day. When I said it's a modern holiday, I was talking about Yom Yerushalayim, which, in English, is Jerusalem Day. Yom Yerushalayim celebrates the reunification of the city of Jerusalem after the Six-Day War in 1967, including having the old city of Jerusalem as a part of modern Israel. I remember when I was in Jerusalem in 1993. I got to visit with a good friend of my mom's. Her name was Hannah. Hannah was visiting Jerusalem at the time, too. She lived in Chicago, but her father had grown up in Jerusalem and brought her there many times. Together, she and I went to the King David Hotel, which is known for its beauty and its wonderful view of the old city. While we were there, I looked out at the walls of the City of David just a short walk away. Between me and them was a field with a man with a staff and a number of sheep grazing on the grass. It was 1993, but the view had been the same almost forever. I mean, even before the King David Hotel was there, the old city had certainly been there, and outside its walls there had been shepherds tending their sheep for centuries. When I stood there with Hannah, I had a feeling of timelessness, but when she spoke, I was reminded that even though the view may have been the same, the situations have been very different. When she'd gone to the King David Hotel with her father all those many years ago, they also admired the view of the Old City, but could only dream of going there. The distance, as the crow flies, from where we stood until the Old City is maybe 800 meters, less than a football field. You could see it and easily walk there—except you couldn't—until after 1967. And now the old city is in modern Israel, which is both miraculous and complicated. Jerusalem is a complex city filled with many religions, politics, and people—real people with beliefs, feelings, and homes. In honor of Jerusalem Day, I sat down to talk with Sarah Tuttle Singer the author of the new memoir, Jerusalem Drawn and Quartered. Sarah spent a year living in the old city of Jerusalem, exploring its history, both ancient and recent, as well as its present. She got to meet many residents, have lots of adventures, and live and breathe the city and share her experiences through the book. In our time together, I got to talk with Sarah about some of the things that impacted her the most in writing this book. She also told a story in the interview that didn't make it into the book. I hope you enjoy listening to her experience in this beautiful and layered city. Be sure to stay tuned afterward to hear about where you can get a copy of the book and more. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you about your new book coming out any second now, right? Jerusalem Drawn and Quartered, which I've already read um, at the speed of light, actually. Um, People who have heard this podcast before may know that I'm a very slow reader. Uh, It does take an effort, but I just, I couldn't put it down, actually.
1: Wow, that is one of the nicest things anyone said about the book. Thank you. Thanks. That makes me feel really good.
0: Well, here I am all the way across the ocean so far far away from Jerusalem where my heart resides much like yours. And so it was amazing to be able to reconnect through your book. And and frankly, you know, I haven't spent a year living in Jerusalem, which is what your book is about, and I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about that in a second. I haven't spent a year living in the Old City. I've spent 3 years living in Jerusalem itself, but you know, I lived there. So there's only so much exploring you do when you have to go to work every day and you have errands and, you know, and the time that I was living there was also avoiding bus bombings. So it was really not a time when I was exploring, even though I did, of course, a lot of touristy things. I didn't get to really go into the heart of the old city the way that you did. And I'd love to hear what prompted this adventure for you. Like what made you say, I really want to spend a year doing this.
1: First of all, um, I imagine you were living in Jerusalem
0: during the second intifada,
1: and that must have been just a horrific, terrifying experience.
0: Well, part of it was horrific and terrifying, but of course that wasn't the whole thing.
1: Right. Yeah. I I I imagine people were really coming together in amazing ways. And Jerusalem is this place of incredible contradiction of the best in people, the worst in people, and sometimes all in the same day and all in the same person and how it all somehow fits together. So I, uh, I would love to hear more about your experiences at some point during that time. Um, the, the idea for the book came because... I was head over heels in love with Jerusalem and it's a complicated love story that actually starts when I was 16 years old and my parents insisted that I go to Israel for the first time. I didn't want to go. It was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. I wanted to spend my summer, you know, at the mall and waiting for for Matt to call me and ask me out and you know maybe even get to make out with him in the air vents or go to the beach and put sun in in my hair, you know, all the typical things that super original 16-year-olds want. (laughs) (laughs) My mom mom is a stubborn woman, and she had fallen in love with Jerusalem the summer after uh, the Six Day War, 1967. She was there from July until September during this call for volunteers from the Jewish world to come. And it was this incredible time of real connection and remembrance and reconnection really to Jerusalem where for the first time since it had been liberated from the Jordanians, Jewish people could go to the Western Wall and walk freely in the old city. And my mom described in such poignant detail what it was like to be in the old city at that time and singing, um, you know, Jerusalem of gold and um, and, and buying scarves and, um, and, and smelling all the spices. And she wrote a camel and the story was very rugged and very romantic, but I was still 16 and wanted to spend my summer in LA. But my mom put me on the plane anyway, and I was shuffled off to Israel on this program with 120 other Jewish teenagers from Los Angeles, and she was right. I, I fell in love. And that love affair really began in Jerusalem on a rooftop overlooking the old city surrounded by the other kids from the program, and it was the first time that I didn't have to explain why I couldn't go ice skating on Friday nights, and why I kissed that funny thing on the door, and why I didn't eat pepperoni or shrimp, and all around me were all these people who were full of such passion and such intensity, and such they're so argumentative and pushy and loving, and it was just like my family, except it was everyone all around me, and something clicked as I looked out over the old city at this mosaic of faith and peoplehood and i was head over heels in love now that love story took a dark turn a few summers later when i was back the summer i was 18 and um a traumatic experience in northern israel with a friend of a friend led me back to jerusalem looking for that reconnection and i found myself in front of damascus gate late at night the moon was full it was beautiful, pearly light all over the ancient walls. And suddenly there was this searing pain in the back of my neck and the back of my head. And I reached back and touched my head and I realized my hand was sticky. I was covered in my own blood. And I'd been hit by rocks. And I, I don't know why I was hit with rocks. I Maybe it was how I was dressed. Maybe it was just dumb luck. I don't think they n- knew that I was Jewish necessarily, whoever threw it but I was terrified. And um, I ran away from where the rocks had come from. And so I actually ran into the Muslim quarter through Damascus gate. And there was all around me was this, this loud music. And there were, there were fireworks. In hindsight, it was probably during, um, you know, sort of the end of Ramadan, during iftar, when things get very celebratory. But I didn't know that. All I knew is I'd been hurt. There's, all this loud, throbbing Arabic music. There's fireworks that sound like gunfire, or bombs exploding. I'm scared out of my mind. And I swore to myself I would never go back in the Muslim quarter. And I, and then, you know, over the years, then I would visit Jerusalem or visit Israel. I would go to the Western Wall, but I wouldn't set foot in the Christian or the Muslim quarters. And I would just sort of skirt around the side of the Armenian quarter down to you know the Jewish Quarter and into the Western Wall because I was scared and I was convinced that something terrible would happen to me over there. But then, after a few years of living in Israel, I came um, in 2010, started working at Times of Israel, which is um, you know an online newspaper based out of Jerusalem. And one of my colleagues invited me to go with him to the Temple Mount to interview one of the um, one of the sheikhs from the Waqf. It actually may have been the Mufti. And I agreed to go because this guy was um, smart, charismatic. He smelled great, had a crush on him at the time. And I thought it would be really fun to get to spend an afternoon with him. But it didn't occur to me that we wouldn't be going through the regular, you know, entrance through the Western Wall to the Mugrabi, the um, entrance for tourists up to the Temple Mount. I never thought in a million years he would park next to Damascus Gate and we'd have to walk in through there. But that's what happened. And it was a cold day. And luckily it was cold because I was shivering, not so much from the cold, but from fear. And I was able to pass off my um, my shivering by you know, blaming the weather. I, no way did I want to let this colleague of mine know that I was scared. I was trying to play it cool. And as we're walking in through Damascus Gate, back in the Muslim quarter, after 15 years of swearing I never would set foot in there, he turns to me and he's like, hey, let's go have kanafe. I was thinking, oh my god, what what's kanafe? And it turns out that kanafe is this delicious cheese with, with semolina and these spices, and it's super del- wonderful and sweet and yummy. And we're eating this. And Surround, I'm surrounded at this point by different um, Palestinians in the Kanafe place, and I'm looking at them, and nobody's throwing rocks at me. Nobody's stabbing me. No one's yelling at me. No one's looking at me. No one cares. They're just eating their Kanafe. And so I started to calm down. And when we left the Kanafe place and we're walking down to the road of the Shuk toward um, south, eventually towards the western wall, I started looking at other people, at the old guys playing backgammon, and the, um, you know, the, the the mothers scolding their children, and I just saw people, and I wanted to see more of that. And so I would go back over and over again into the old city, first with other people, and then later on my own, and I wanted to know as much as possible. Now. That's when I started to get the idea of actually living in all four quarters because I thought that would be the best way to get the best sense of things. Because at this point, I knew a lot, but I didn't know enough. But I did know that everyone who was living in the old city that I knew loved what they were doing, loved being there, and yet there was very little connection between the quarters. And I I wanted to see if there was a way to bridge that. Now, it was one thing to sort of go in on and have that experience just on my own. And it's another thing to actually be able to do that with the excuse of writing a book. And so I was lucky that my agent was able to sell the idea to Skyhorse Press and, and they liked it. And so I had um, you know, sort of this like get out of jail free card. If I got caught doing something dumb for the sake of my art, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing it for the, for the project. And there were a few instances where um, I think having a project behind the idea was actually very useful. It gave it a little bit of gravitas. And also having a deadline was very useful
0: too. <laughs> Deadlines do help. Yeah. That was That's an amazing story. And I think for those who haven't read the book yet, it's such a great illustration of everything that's packed into that book. That book, your story just now started off with, a reluctance to go to Jerusalem and you fell in love with it then and then it got dangerous and then it got complex and you came back and I love how your book illustrates the complexities of Jerusalem because I think in anything it can be all too easy to see things simplistically or see things through the lens of the glasses that you are wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jerusalem of all places is so complex and you really do point that out beautifully in the book and in that story that you just told. (laughs) It was a great illustration of that. One of the things that I loved about your book, actually, when I read it, there were two things where it really, um, it met my expectations and my hopes in two ways. And then there was a third way that just came as a complete surprise. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Maybe it was because I didn't know what to expect. I don't know. Um, you know, but but one thing that I expected because so I started following you on social media on Facebook. It must have been about a year ago i don 't really know, but a friend of mine mentioned to me oh there 's this woman living in the old city, and she 's going to live there for twelve months and write about living in each quarter and I was like, "Oh well, I want to find out about that <laughs> so so um, in the meantime, I got to read the things that you write on social media, which Some of them are are really poignant. Some of them are really um, eye-opening. And a lot of them are just gorgeous writing. Oh, thank you. Some of them I like get to the end of the post. I'm like, wow, (laughs) that was just beautiful art. Um, So I really enjoyed that about your book too. The storytelling was phenomenal. And I really felt very present in everything that you were experiencing in the old city. Um, I felt like I was there. That's good storytelling, but I also really appreciated the writing, which is just such a lovely bonus when you're reading. Like, wow, that was, that was really nice. Um, so I, I expected that because I've been reading what you write for a while now. The other thing I expected was an enhanced connection with the old city of Jerusalem and by extension, Israel. And I definitely got that in spades. I mean, your introduction to the reader of the variety of people who you met and our peek into their lives and seeing the old city as a real city, but it's a real magical city, even though it's a real city. You know, you really illustrated both things. I think there was a time where you dropped your sunglasses down by the caverns. Yeah, in the cistern, yep. It always amazes me about Jerusalem. You know, when I lived there, I could be riding a bus in the period when I did ride a bus. I could be riding a bus, you know, just to the grocery store. And I'm just sitting there on the bus, you know, with my groceries. And look out the window, and there's the city of David right out (laughs) my bus window when I'm getting groceries. Like, what are you doing here? Um, I mean, I grew up in Chicago which has its own unique history. But Chicago's history really starts, if I recall correctly, in 1871 after the fire. You know, like Mm -hmm. the oldest thing in Chicago, not literally the oldest thing, but like one of the cool old things in Chicago is the first building with an elevator. That is really cool. But it's a whole kind of different old (laughs) than the old city of Jerusalem.
1: It depresses me in L.A. when I pass a store where it says, you know, established in 1981 <laughs> like, well, I, you know what i was established in 1981 too <laughs> but um, but I, I know what you mean in chicago's you know um older than la and in new york is even older than that but still the the, the history the the built the uh, the history in in stone and in wood mm-hmm. um oh, only goes back so far and I, i'm always amazed at The site of the old city, especially when you come when you approach it from the north, not too far from sort of the Damascus Gate area, and you see (laughs) the light rail, and you can see the uh, the Dome of the Rock sparkling in the walls, and it's like wow, ancient and modern, and how is this real, and how how am I so lucky to be there?
0: Oh, it's so amazing! Absolutely, I think one of the things you said in the book is something along the lines of Jerusalem is a city of layers. Mm-hmm. That might be a paraphrase, not a yeah, quote. No,
1: that's exactly what I said. Thank <laughs> you. you <read> it,
0: <laughs> but but I, yeah, I so identified with that because the layers are in every kind of layers. I mean, literally when I got to be there about a year and a half ago with my kids and we went down by the Southern Wall and I hadn't been to the Southern Wall in probably um, close to 20 years. So, you know, it's still there and it's still old. <laughs> that, that part is still there and it's still amazing. But what wasn't there when I was there 20 years ago were the excavations. And so there were places when we went a year and a half ago where we could like stand on the ground and yet look down to the ground below us as if we were looking through somebody's ceiling into the rooms that were there so many, many years ago. And, and probably beneath those rooms are more. And so there are the physical layers, but there are so many other layers to Jerusalem as well that I just felt like it was such a great description. Thank you. It's uh, it, One of the things I enjoy pointing
1: out to people when I take them around the old city is like what we're walking on is, you know, we're on, right now we're actually literally on top of a hospital or on top of a church. And my friend um, who sells this incredible silk fabric that he smuggles in from Palmyra, and it's made out of silk and gold. In his store, he um, he has p- part of the floor removed, and it's covered in glass, and you can see the you know the old bones of a church from you know a th- over a thousand years ago. That's just underneath his shop that they found while well, they were doing some excavations and renovations, and they were allowed to. Uh, to keep the shop, and he chose to display it as such, which I think is really special.
0: Well, another majestic thing we got to do last time is there's a, a store in the Shuk, in the market in the old city, when you go in through Jaffa Gate. One of the stores has the oldest well in Jerusalem in their store. It's just in their store because, you know, used to be a well, it used to be a square and then they built a store. Um, The store itself is of course a few hundred years old. Um, And the well is older because it's the oldest well. I, you know, I don't know what that means to be the oldest well in Jerusalem. I don't know if it got a certificate or what, but you know, whatever it is, it's old and it's not used as a well anymore, but it used to be. And even those shop owners, um, who their family lives upstairs and they had lived there for generations and like even their own father had used that well you know wow. they had pumped water up from that well and now there i was looking at that same well it's been watering people for generations i know generations, it just amazes me it. and maybe some of our ancestors drew water right. from that very well that's right that's right Will you talk about your grandmother your great-grandmother yeah my great grandmother from who um, ended up in Chicago, West Rogers park, by the
1: way. And, but she had come to Jerusalem as an au pair back in the early 1900s. And she had this hot, steamy, sexy love affair with an Ottoman official on, and she described kissing him on the various rooftops overlooking the old city. And you can imagine that went over very well with her um, ultra Orthodox family back in Poland, who brought her back to Poland when they, got the news of this and then they shipped her as far away from Jerusalem as they could ship her, which is why she ended up in Chicago. And she met my great grandfather and they had my grandmother who had my mom who had me. So, you know, from my perspective, it worked out great. But um, during that time in the old city and, 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 you know, I'm still there even though the book is done. I'm still on the days that I'm not with my kids. I'm back in Jerusalem. I'm looking for her ghost and I think I'm looking for my mom's ghost, too. I feel that when you love something, you leave behind some kind of footprint. And there are times when I can feel their presence so strongly. And it, Okay, it might be just my imagination, but I love it. And I love that, I'm, that there is that connection that goes back to my mother. And well, also my grandmother had visited Jerusalem, too. And to my grandmother's mother, my great-grandmother that's strong and enduring and well, really it's everlasting.
0: Well, this was the third part of the book that surprised me. And by third, I don't mean sequentially. I just mean it was the third element. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is the one that really surprised me. And maybe it was just because I wasn't in the know. But um, I expected this book to be beautifully written because I'd read your work and I expected it to be a story of Jerusalem, an intricate and intimate story of Jerusalem and... I even expected it to be personal because, of course, it's your personal experience. But what I hadn't expected was the other part of, like, the Sarah Tuttle Singer memoir. And I have to say that it enhanced the book in a really special way for me. Um, I wasn't looking for that, and, you know, that's okay. But there, what I did find woven throughout the book um, were these special parts where you... I could tell you were connecting with your mother and connecting with your grandmother, or looking to, you know, some of some of both. And then there was that part again where she got hit in the head with the stone, and her head was bleeding. I don't know how many times you brought that up in the book. It was certainly more than once. Um, And other things that had happened that just the story comes up again. And and part of me was like, well, there that is again. Why is that story coming up again? And it really brought home for me. A very real part of this story, because personally, I I hope you take this as a compliment. I kind of compare this in my mind to Eat, Pray, Love in a sense, okay? Because it's like your year-long journey, right? And it's got a spiritual component. But, and, and I know there are people who don't like Eat, Pray, Love. I loved it. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. I think it's a phenomenal memoir. And I think it'd probably be amazing to go to wherever she went, Italy, India, and Indonesia for a year. That will never happen in my life. I will never have a year off where I go and explore the world. There are so many reasons why that won't happen in my life. But your memoir, I felt um, like this was your real life (laughs) You know, like like I understood and you mentioned like your your kids weren't with you that night and you were living in Jerusalem and when you're with your kids, you're not living in Jerusalem and, and this was just a part of your real life and a part of your real life, just like a part of my real life and everybody else's real life, is that we do have these recurring stories. We do have these longings, not just for our ancestral homeland, but like for our own parents and our own close connections. And we do have these, um, recurring memories of the negative things that happened in our life. And when we're really lucky, we find, you know, the blessings that come from these and yet they still can bring us these feelings of pain, like being hit in the head with, with a rock, (laughs) um, still painful, even though all these other things are going on. And, Likewise, even though though all these other things are going on, there still was that time you were hit in the head with a rock. So I really felt that actually this component of your story being woven through your story of living in Jerusalem and Jerusalem's story added a whole other layer, if I may, (laughs) to the book. Thank
1: you. Thanks for saying that. And I I appreciate the comparison to Eat, Pray, Love because she – made a ton of money was very successful from her book so that would be very cool and I take it as a huge compliment what was so interesting to me as I was writing this book is this wasn't the book I expected to write again thank God for deadlines because um, one month and two days before I had a deadline I had no book Mm-hmm. I had lots of notes. I had audio recordings of, of pilgrims singing and the call to prayer and kids laughing and the sound of you know footsteps on the stones and cat yowling and um you know late at night but i so I had texture, but i didn 't have a story i didn 't have a narrative arc and uh, one month and two days before this deadline, I sat down at the computer and it just came to me, and the first line that I wrote was, "This is a love story," and then it all flowed. And there are parts of this book I don't remember writing. I, I wrote them to be clear. Yeah. But I just, the stories flowed out that I that I didn't expect to tell. The um, the incident in northern Israel. I never expected to tell anybody that. After it happened, I didn't even tell my best friend. I didn't tell my parents. Um, but th- then I'm, I'm staring at it on the page because it's part of the entire story. And I think all the way we relate to Jerusalem comes from our own individual experiences. And in some ways, that makes it all the more universal. And mm-hmm. the the broken parts of my life have certainly informed the way that I'm looking to put pieces back together, build bridges where th- there can be bridges, open doors where doors are, are able to be opened. And without these difficult experiences that came up again and again in the book, I wouldn't be writing this book in the first place. And that's something that I'm incredibly grateful for, even though those horrible moments like the night at Damascus Gate or the um, the event in northern Israel that preceded it. If it weren't for those things, I wouldn't have been back in Jerusalem. I wouldn't have been so shaken by these experiences and then so moved 15 years later when I was ready to to fall in love again with Jerusalem um, and again and again and again.
0: Yeah. I
1: feel very lucky for that.
0: Writing is such a magical process. I found, you know, and I, and I tell people, just like with painting, you don't need to paint something. You don't paint something and then go, oh, who can I sell this to? <laughs> you, you can just do it because you like it. Um, and, and you don't have to create a whole book and you don't have to sell it in order for it to be magical. But I've found that writing really does have this special quality, at least for me, and you're describing it also, when I published my first book before I published it, when I finally read it as a whole piece together, put together, I read it and I was like, wow, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say it? Right. Like, okay. hey, that's not bad. <laughs> Actually, that's really great. Right. Like, I didn't even know that story was in there. I didn't even know it was gonna turn out like that. That was a really good ending. <laughs> it's, it's such a good just, feeling, isn't it? It is. You can learn so much about yourself and from yourself through writing, right? I know. It's amazing. I think I read
1: some piece of uh, cog-sci literature about how um, musicians and uh, painters and and writers, when they're really in the zone, somehow the synapses from the, 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 the main part of their brain and the frontal lobe part of the brain disconnect. And so you're literally out of your mind when you're creating art wow and it's you've had that experience i I've, I've had that experience to certain extents writing the book and it's a great feeling it's it's better than being high i got to say <laughs> so i um I'm, I'm grateful for it astounded at times and I'm very happy that i had the opportunity to write all of this down
0: well thank you for talking with me about your book jerusalem drawn and quartered there will be a link in the show notes And I'd like to ask you if you would be willing to tell one more story here before we say goodbye. Um, And that's actually a story that's not in your book. At least I don't think I saw it in there in your book. But would you tell the story of giving out popsicles on your birthday? Oh,
1: I would love to talk about that. And you're right, the story is not in the book, but one of the photos from the – From that day, that was taken by David Abitbol, who is the creator of the website. Well, really, it's a movement of Julius. He took a picture from that afternoon. Uh, This was um, last summer, and there was incredible tension around Temple Mount. There'd been a terror attack sort of in in the middle of July, and two um, police officers were murdered right outside of the Temple Mount. And there was evidence that weapons had been stashed on Temple Mount. And so Israel closed Temple Mount and searched it for weapons. And then when they reopened it, they put in uh, cameras and metal detectors and the walks, the Islamic authority said, Oh, no, you can't do that. Now we're going to boycott Temple Mount. And there were, there were protests that some of them turned violent and it was some, some rioting. And um, it was a, a very difficult time East Jerusalem was seething there was another horrific terror attack in um, Halamish on, on a Friday evening and it was a time of incredible pain and fear and and distrust and tension and it was also really 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 hot if you've ever been to the Middle East you know that summers are are they are the dog days they're the dregs of of the weather they're um they're this steamy thick and difficult and we're also human and when we're hot things just get worse and so i thought it would be a nice idea to hand out popsicles and see what what would happen and we We got together with some friends Uh, we did it a a few times one of those times was on my birthday and we stood on my favorite streets uh, called al-wad in arabic and haggai in hebrew and that roughly translates to the the, the ravine and this is the most to me the most beautiful and complicated and fraught artery in the old city it's sort of on top of where the cardo used to be back in, um, in roman times and it's the street that runs from Damascus Gate all the way to the Western Wall with um, little streets intersecting that go off to the Temple Mount. So it's the street where, where uh, there's the most traffic from Jewish people going to the Western Wall coming in from, you know, from Mea Sharim or from the uh, the North. And it's the street that gets the most traffic from Muslim people going to pray at Temple Mount at, um, at Aqsa. And it's also... We were at the intersection off of Via Della Rosa where all the Christians are coming in from Lionsgate and they're carrying the cross and they're stopping at each station on the way of the cross, following the path that they believe Jesus took on his way to being crucified. So we were right there in the middle of it all and we were buying popsicles and handing them out to anyone who would take a popsicle from border police wearing all this heavy protective gear. And... um, you know, d- different yeshiva students coming through and, and men and women carrying their, their Muslim prayer rugs going off to to pray at the um, at, at Aqsa Mosque. Or actually, they weren't even going into Aqsa Mosque because the Temple Mount area was, um, they were boycotting it, but they were going up to the Lions Gate entrance area to pray. And, you know, a, a priest and a nun, a rabbi, imam, anyone who wanted a popsicle got a popsicle from um an elderly man in a wheelchair to to a little kid it didn't matter and people thought we were out of our minds and people also loved it and it was incredible to see the reactions and you know the bottom line is we just wanted to do whatever we could to help cool tensions and that's the only you know the, the only thing i could think of doing i am not in a position to try to negotiate I have strong feelings, but, a long, but but one of the feelings that's the strongest is that we are all human. And despite our differences, we have these very basic needs. And maybe if you can address them, things can cool off for just a little while, just long enough to take a breath and think things through. And it was a tough time. And there was some backlash from members of the Jewish community who really didn't like what we were doing. And they felt that we were, um, supporting terrorists or, you know, or, um, you know, being nice to to our enemies. And I have trouble seeing it that way. These were just everyday folks walking through. And, and again, we, we gave popsicles to anyone who would take, And it was really nice to see people sort of hang around us with our boxes and boxes of popsicles that we were buying from local merchants in the old city. And there was no revelation, really, but people were talking to each other. And it it was cool, and it cooled things off, even for an hour, and it felt really good.
0: That's amazing. And sometimes it is those ordinary things. Oh, absolutely. Because those are the those are the things that life is made up of, right? It's the ordinary days that are really extraordinary. And you have both in your book. So I'm glad that you included both the ordinary and the extraordinary because it really is a very special place.
1: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for reading the book. And thanks for talking to me about it.
0: Did you just love hearing Sarah's stories about Jerusalem as much as I did? One of the fun things about being an author is that I sometimes get to read other authors' books before they're released. That was the case with Jerusalem Drawn and Quartered. I got to read the book about a month ago and recorded the interview a couple weeks ago. And now, Sarah's book is out and available for you to read it too. It was just released a few days ago, and you can get it online or in a bookstore near you and there's a link in the show notes for you to click on for your convenience. I actually ordered two copies of the book because it's really gorgeous and will make a great gift. The pictures are beautiful and, well, you heard some of the story already. After you read the book, be sure to go to Amazon and leave a review. Reviews are like gold for authors. If you're new to the Out of the Box Judaism podcast, this is the perfect time to listen to back episodes and hear the interviews with the other wonderful guests who have been on the show. Last week, when talking with Kathy Pugh about running in ritual, one of the things we talked about was counting the Omer. If you're listening to this episode when it airs, then we're almost finished with counting the Omer right now. That's the 49 days between Passover, or leaving slavery behind, and Shavuot, getting the Ten Commandments. I've been leading a group on our own virtual journey between Exodus and Revelation, and it has been really exciting, so much so that I plan to do it again this summer. Even though it won't officially be the Omer, it's always a good time for personal growth, right? And after all, this is out-of-the-box Judaism. So if you want to join the group that's quote-unquote leaving in June, check out outoftheboxjudaism.com slash Omer, o m e r for more details, and to sign up for the emails. It's all done by email from the comfort of your own home. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to be one of the listeners who also receives a story every week in your inbox, you can sign up at www.outoftheboxjudaism.com send me a story. I'd love to send you a story each week that helps connect ancient traditions with modern life. Thanks for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe so that you can hear all future episodes as well. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to tell a friend and leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast too. Thanks for listening.